Off the Bible Explorers, don't forget, we got to name that mouse. Mickey. Well, if you have your Bible, let's turn to John chapter 11, shall we? And so far, we have developed this chapter as to its doctrinal application. And you've heard me teach you this from day one, how that the Bible will have different applications to it, and basically three, the historical, the doctrinal, prophetic, toward the second coming, and then, of course, the inspirational, which is for our everyday living. But I always usually do the doctrinal first because 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, 17 tells us that, um, that that's the first thing the Bible's profitable for is for doctrine. So I try to stay with it as best I can. And I gave you a, um, and defined for you uh, what um, our cast of characters in this story uh, really represent. And I told you that doctrinally, Lazarus will represent uh, you know, the nation of Israel. He dies, picture Israel's spiritual condition, they're dead, and then Christ comes uh, and resurrects him. Uh, we talked about Mary and Martha, how that doctrinally, they kind of represent the two types of Jews at the first coming of Christ. Uh, Mary, she follows the law, does what she is supposed to do, and Martha is kind of outside the law and does her thing. And then we have the Lord, and of course, in this particular story, uh, he's coming to Lazarus, a picture of Christ coming to the nation of Israel to resurrect Israel, and, uh, you know, and uh, it's typified by him dealing with Lazarus and then raising him up, which is a picture uh, of Israel's resurrection. And I gave you all the references on that. And I told you, and I've told you this many, many times, that the theme of the Bible will be the day of the Lord, the establishment of God's kingdom. And the last couple of weeks I showed you in this chapter uh, on Israel's resurrection, typified by Lazarus, all four examples in the Bible that really point us toward the theme of the Bible, the day of the Lord. And this story will fit into the overall theme. And you remember I gave you and showed you that there is a third day system out of John chapter 2. Then there's a 12-hour day. We looked at that third day the first time we were in it. And then last week, the 12-hour day, uh, there's two of those, uh, two and three. Uh, and, uh, you know, one's based out of Mark 13, the watches. The other one is a 12-hour, uh, Matthew chapter 20. We got into those on Thursday night. Uh, the the uh, fourth one uh, is a seven-day system. And I laid this out last week. Uh, laid out in accordance with Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the seven days of God creating, or six days creating and resting on the seventh. And I gave you all the material and showed you how that you match it up and how it really lays itself out. Uh, you know, and everything we looked at, and a couple of weeks ago we went into Ezekiel chapter 34, and I walked you through up to chapter 39 and 40. And then last week I showed you how that Paul wanted us to understand God dealing with Israel, much like we're reading here in John chapter 11. So we went, kind of went through Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 9, how it explains to us how the Jew got in the mess they got in, and then God leaves them temporarily, and then the gospel goes to the Gentiles, that's chapter 10. But then he comes back and he restores them in chapter 11. 
You know, it will all point, everything in the Bible will point to that theme in the Bible, which will be the day of the Lord or the second coming of Christ. Now, hopefully you're getting all this into your Bible. I mean, uh, I'll be glad to help you any way I can and show you the best way to do it and, and try to help you wherever I can do. Thursday night, we'll have any time you can ask me about it and we'll get all of those uh, things uh, going for you. But if you're ever going to get your Bible down and learn your Bible, these are the things in time you're going to have to get in. Now today, uh, we're going to be look at the characters uh, in our story. But for the next couple of weeks, uh, we will look at them inspirationally. We already know historically that they're real figures. Uh, this is not a parable story. Uh, I laid out the doctrinal. Now I want to show you the inspirational side of these characters and, and how it relates to, again, to me and you and what we can learn from it. Mary and Martha, and then, of course, Lazarus inspirationally. Now we're going to talk about Martha first. I need to clarify something here. We only have one lady in our church whose name is Martha. And I told her before the message, this ain't you, sweetheart. You're as good as gold. Uh, I don't want any inference that uh, he's preaching about Martha back there. Martha, this is this is and this is not you, sweetheart. I don't know what to tell you. We, we love you very much, and uh, you're a vital part of our church, so don't you worry about it. Um, but anyway, uh, so let's read John chapter 11, and we'll pick it up in verse 17 to verse 28 today. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know uh, that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know uh, that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life that he believeth, he that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, uh, I believe that thou art the Christ of the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come, and calleth for thee. Father, we ask your blessings upon today. We love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for our church, for the good folks that are in it and here today. Thank you for those on the YouTube out there that all around the country and literally around the world are, are listening today that we might be a blessing to them. And many of them count this church as their own church because they can't find one wherever they're at. And we thank God for that and hope that we can always be there for them. But bless this time today. May we look at these things and apply them to our own lives and everything that we endeavor to do for you. And we'll be careful to give you all the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name and the sake we ask it, amen. 
Now, doctrinally, as I said, Mary and Martha will show us two types of Jews at the first coming of Christ. And uh, they seem to fit into that category. We talked about uh, a while back in John chapter 2, the uh, family of God, the seven members of that family of God and the household of God out of Ephesians 3 and Ephesians uh, uh, 2. And, you know, they, f- they fit into that category of the two types of Jews that are there when Christ shows up and their perspective of the Lord Jesus. And Martha will show us the Jew who believes in God but has left basically the Old Testament law. She is pretty much doing her own thing. Mary, on the other hand, will be a picture of the Jew who is following the law and looking for Christ in the proper place, in the proper time, the way that she should. But today, I want to move into the inspirational for a moment. For the next couple of weeks, I want to look at Martha today, Mary next week, and then Lazarus the week after that. And I want to, uh, I want to see how these characters represent a picture of Christianity. Mary and Martha will represent for us the two types of Christians that you're going to find today uh, in, uh, in Christianity. And Martha will be a picture of 98% of God's people today that you're going to find. And I, what I want to do, I want to develop over the next couple of weeks some really good principles from the people that we're going to look at. Things that I think can really be a benefit to you and to me. Now, Martha, there's no question about it. Uh, she represents a Christian. She would be saved. She believes in God. But when you look at her life and see how she deals with things, she completely misses everything that God is doing in her life and around her. She always wants to tell God, Christ, what he should have done, uh, but can never see what he is really doing. In her life, as we come down through here, she has absolutely no insight. She doesn't seem to have any perception And she certainly doesn't have any understanding. She's just like most of God's people today. She has no understanding of the great doctrine in the Bible, which we talk about here and teach, you know, through our discipleship lessons, the great teaching on God's will versus God's plan for your life. She doesn't understand that. But yet most of God's people don't understand that. And, you know, God, you know, I hear young kids get up or people give a testimony, and many of them are adults and they're, you know, they're on the mission field or they're pastors, whatever. And when I hear him say something like this, you know, it, it, it's kind of an indicator of where they're at in the Word of God. I heard a young guy get up one time that just got out and graduated from, from mission school, and he was going to be a missionary someplace. And he got up and he was giving his testimony in the church and he began to talk about how that, you know, it was, he, it was so clear to him that God's will for him was to go to the mission field. And, you know, everybody in the church, you know, amen and praise the Lord and all of that. And he went on and on and on. And I thought to myself at that point in time, this is the problem today. And this is Martha's problem. You know, God's will for your life versus God's plan for your life. We all think they're the same. We think that, uh, you know, that uh, God's will is God's plan and God's plan is God's will. Now, let me just say this. God has a plan for every one of you. 
Every one of you, if you're saved, the Bible says that he hath begun a good work in you and will perform another day of Jesus Christ. He has a plan for you. Part of you being in this church is my job and the leaders in this church is to help you grow that God, through the Word of God, can show you what he wants you to do, God's plan. And this will be the purpose that we talked about a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he says we are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for your life. We've got a host of people here today, well over 100, and, and uh, you know, it's a thing where God's plan will be different for every one of you. God is not going to call you to do the same thing. If he did, I'd still be back in Canton, Ohio. God has a plan for every one of you that when you got saved, you were called according to his purpose for your life, which is God's plan. And that's just what he wants you to do. My job and the job of the leadership of this church is as we grow together that we help each other and I help you get to that point in your life where God's plan, what he wants to do with you, uh, becomes clear to you. And in time, you will, you know, you'll be right where God wants you to be doing exactly what God wants you to do. I have no, I can't speak for you. I have no doubt in my mind that I'm exactly where God wants me to be doing what he wants me to do. I found my purpose. I found God's plan for my life. But I'm telling you right now, the day I gave my life to the Lord and got up and said, okay, I'm going to start serving the Lord, I didn't know what that was. I went through tough times just like everybody else did. I wasn't sure what God wanted me to do. I was a young guy. I was seeing all kinds of guys that were older than me doing all kinds of stuff. I wanted to do it all. But I realized that that wasn't possible. And I remember one time I thought God wanted me to do this. And I thought God wanted me to do this. Some preacher would come in town and preach in the church and he'd convict me about something. So I thought that's what God wanted me to do. And actually, none of those things is what God wanted me to do. <clears throat> but it comes to the point in my life where, you know, the great example is, is 1 Samuel chapter 3. And we don't have, we have to turn back there. But that's the great example and model for this. Young Samuel, he was probably one of the greatest prophets that Israel had. And God wanted to use him. God had a plan for him. But you'll see in chapter 3, the word of the Lord was not even revealed to him yet. And when God tries to call him to explain to him, he doesn't get it. If it was not for Eli, who had his own problems, but in this case, Eli was smart enough to understand to give this kid good advice. And in time, because Samuel got good advice, he became a great prophet for the Lord, for God in the Old Testament. And it's a great thing. And it's a great example for you and for me. God calling Samuel to the work that God had for Samuel and how God is going to call you, how you are going to figure out God's plan for your life, but then fulfill God's plan for your life. Now, that's God's plan. God's will will be something else. Now, God's plan for everybody in here is different. He's not going to call the two people sitting together to do the same thing. But God's will 
will be the same for everybody sitting in this room if you're ashamed. And this is totally lost today. You know, and as I said, I hear the guys get up and give a testimony. Well, I think God's will for me was to do this or to do that or to be this or go to the mission field or be a pastor or build a church or be an evangelist. No, that may be God's plan for your life, but that's not God's will for your life. God's will for you and for me will be the same. Where God's plan will be different for everybody, God's will will be the same for all of us. God's plan is whatever he wants you to do. God's will is for you and for me to be more like Jesus Christ every day of our lives. That's God's will. God wants you and me to grow into him. And the problem is, and this is where you get into the mess with it, God's will will never be anything you do for God. God's will will only be what you become for God. Christ-like. Getting God's mind, seeing everything in life from God's perspective like we talk about all the time. Understanding that God has to change our viewpoint of the world before we can ever reach it. We can't look at the world and go out and try to win it to Christ with the same thinking that we had before we got saved. And getting saved isn't going to fix that just like that. There has to be a process. Now, God has something that he wants you to do. So many of God's people try to do something for God before they try to be something for God. And it's a disaster. This is why Christianity is in the mess that it's in today. This is why God's people have so many problems. They're saved, they're on their way to heaven, and they're the most miserable people on planet Earth. They got bad marriages, they got bad kids, they can't get any victory in their life. They just go through life in a miserable state. And we are supposed to be the light of the world. It's the world who's supposed to look at our lives and say, I want that. <laughs> God's people's lives today aren't much different than the world's lives. Except one going to heaven and one going to hell. But at the end of the day, there's nothing changed. And it's because of things just like this. God's people go into churches where the pastor gets up there and doesn't delineate, and I don't know what delineate means, but I heard it on TV last night, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't separate the two, doesn't explain the two, that you have an understanding that God does have something he wants you to do, but you'll never really do it till you first be what God wants you to be. And that's more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is lost today. You went to the average Baptist church in this town and asked the average Baptist preacher about this, he wouldn't have a clue. Don't even waste going to the neo-evangelical crowd. They're too busy in their coffee shop, and I can't really say that much anymore, can I, because we've got a coffee shop downstairs. <laughs> Ours is better. I bless the water before we put it in down there. I'm just telling you, more like Jesus Christ today. When I was growing up and learning the Bible, every New Year's, Mel Sabaka, my father and the Lord, would preach a message. It wouldn't be the same message, but he would say some of the same thing. And he'd always ask this question. What's different about you this New Year's than last New Year's? 
Do you know more about him now than you did last year? Are you closer to him? Do you understand the Bible more? What changed between last New Year's and this New Year's? And of course, the answer to that with most of God's people, not a thing. Well, that's not true. More problems. More issues. But you see, your life and my life forever fulfill what God wants us to do. It has to be fulfilled in the process of what God wants us to be. God has a plan for your life. Again, something that he wants you to do. A work for the Father. We've seen it in the last couple of chapters. But the only way you can fulfill God's plan is to be first fulfilling God's will in your life. And I'm saying again, God's plan will be different for everybody in this room if you're saved. But God's will will be the same. You do something for him only being something for him. Allowing him to change you, direct you. That's how you find out what God wants you to do. You don't just get to decide for yourself. You realize the decisions that we've all made in life or what we wanted to do usually didn't work out very well. And yet we think that once we get saved, we can still decide what God wants us to do on our own. No, you can't. He has to show you that. I actually had a guy one time call me on the phone so excited that he found out that God gave him an answer. And I said, well, I always like to understand that. And I, I said, how? He was driving down the road and he saw it on a billboard. And that's how he got his answer. Now I'm going to tell you something. That's not how God will give you what he wants you to do. You have to get the same heart that God has. You have to get the same mind that God has. You have to get on the same page that he's on. And then through that, becoming what God wants you to be. God's will for your life, becoming more like Christ, he'll reveal to you. I, I, I can't tell you the day God told me, this is what I want you to do and this is where I want you to go. Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. It would be a lot easier to explain if it did. It's a process. It's something that you it, that God doesn't call you on the phone. It's some, listen to me. It's something that you grow into. And one day you just know. All the pieces come together. I could stand up here for the next hour and tell you all those pieces, how they fit into my world that got me where I'm at today. But that's what he does. And Martha is an incredible picture of a Christian trying to do something for God without ever being something for God. She tries to do God's plan, but she doesn't have any understanding of God's will. Now let's take a look at her through our trained eye. I watched a sci-fi movie this week. I like sci-fi movies, especially the old ones back in the 50s. Most people don't know why there's a, there's a theology behind the 1949-50 sci-fi movies. Most people don't know what the theology is behind it, but there certainly is. I don't have time to get into it this morning. But the one I watched was this one. Oh, it was made in 1988. Uh, it was called, oh, it was called They Live. How many have seen that movie? It's about, you walk around town, you walk around the country, you walk around this, and everybody looks normal. 
But what has happened is aliens have invaded and they took on the forms of human beings. And you can't tell. You can't tell who's an alien and who's not. But they designed these special glasses. And when you put them on, normal people and alien people. The aliens look horrible. And, and the aliens know that. And so they're try- it's a whole thing where they're trying to get all the glasses. And I thought to myself, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could come up with some spiritual glasses that we could put on and just read the Bible and see what it's really doing? That'd be the most wonderful thing. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I see that movie and I think to myself, there's probably more truth to that movie than we know, but we just don't have the glasses yet. But I, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be a great thing? Because I talk about the trained eye and looking at the Bible. Wouldn't it be great if we could just bypass all that, put on a pair of glasses, and whoa, there it is. Well, it ain't going to happen that way. So we all need to work to train our eyes and to see what's really there. Now, to start with, let's get a defining verse on both of these gals. That's where we want to start. That's how I do it when I do a character study. I'll look for a defining verse on that person. Now, we're going to talk about Mary and Martha, and they both have their defining verses, and fortunately, it's found in the same verse. Verse 20, chapter 11. It says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Now, In our story, you know this now, by now, there's a tragedy that has happened. They've lost their brother, Lazarus. He got sick. He died. And he's been dead now, according to the narrative here, four days. And if you read a little farther, he's getting a little ripe. He stinketh. And uh, it doesn't look like much in this verse. It really doesn't. But verse 20 is a, what I call a telltale verse based on biblical principles of how that we, when a tragedy falls us, how we should respond to it or we're going to react to it. To any tough situation or tragedy that's going to fall in life. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. We're all going to go through tough times in some way or the other. Many of us already have. We're going to lose loved ones. Things are going to happen. Your day is not going to work out. You're going to have something that's going to befall you that is not pleasant. And we're going to have to deal with it. Just like here. And when I see this verse, the first thing I see about Martha here, and let me develop this. Stay with me here. She has no patience to wait on God to get there. She hears he's coming, and she goes out to meet him. Now that looks, without a trained eye, that looks like that might be a pretty good thing to do. But hey, stay with the Bible here for a minute. Now, first off, going to meet Jesus will not change anything. Lazarus isn't going to finally pop out of the grave because she goes to see Jesus. So her running to see Jesus really isn't going to fix anything about this problem. 
As we continue on and look at this thing and see her, we're going to see the kind of person Martha really is. She wants to be the one who is seen by everybody walking into town with Jesus. Martha has nothing spiritually going on on the inside. It's all about her on the outside. And for her, once she hears he's coming, she runs to meet him because she wants that look-at-me attitude of, I'm coming into town with the Lord. We already know that many, many people are coming around and comforting them, so there's a crowd here. It's important for Martha to be seen with Jesus like she's something special. Martha, we'll see this, is in this for the show of it all. She wants to be seen as spiritual, but she's not. She cannot, as we will see, understand what God is really doing. She can't understand that this whole scenario has been set up by God for him to get the honor and glory of it for the nation of Israel. It's all about her. She's always talking about what she's doing and then what everybody else is not doing. She's really big on doing, but she's really short on being. Now Mary, for a moment, and we'll get into her next week. The Bible says in verse 20, but Mary sat still in the house. Now I don't know if you're trained I picked this up, but that word still is in italics. That means they put it in there to show you something. Got to catch things like that. Now, honestly, this is a, and I'm going to develop this for you, this is a really good biblical principle for us. Now, let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27, if we could. And uh, you want to turn back here, because I'm going to develop this through a couple of places, and I want you to see this, why this is so important in a defining verse. Now, back in 1 Samuel chapter 9, the storyline to save us some time today is simply this. Saul has come to Samuel. And he's come to Samuel to be made king. Now Samuel knows that he's not the right one. He knows that. Samuel has been told in chapter 8 that the nation of Israel didn't want the king that God wanted for them. They wanted to be like all the other nations. Samuel reminds them, you're not to be like all the other nations. But they want Saul. And let's face it, Saul was, from a political standpoint, uh, he was a tall man, probably very good looking, and uh, he had a commanding appearance. If anybody would have looked like this guy could be the king, it was Saul. But let's remember the principle that man looketh on the outward appearance and God looketh on the heart. If you'd have put Saul over here, seven foot four, like the NBA player, muscular, good looking, suave, great speaker, and put little David over on this side, who's about 16 years old, little skinny chicken legs, I mean, just a little whip of a guy, and you'd have asked the people, which one do you think could lead Israel? They'd pick him. They did pick him. But he wasn't God's choice. So, 
getting ahead of myself here because I like this story. So Saul comes to Samuel to be king. Samuel has been told that Israel wants a king after all their nation, and he's upset. It's recorded in the Bible where him and God are having a dialogue about it, and he's not happy about it. But I want you to look in chapter 9, verse 27. In the midst of this controversy, look what God told him. Verse 27. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on, but stand thou still a while that I may show you the word of God. You see, when you're moving all the time, when you're always trying to take charge, when you're always trying to do something, God can't show you anything. Because what you've got to do is stand still. What you've got to do is what Mary did, staying still in the house. You don't run to meet Jesus. You're not going to change anything by that. What you do is you stand still, and then what does he say? God wants to show him the answer through the word of God. He stands still in the midst of a controversy for to God show him what to do through the word of God, the principles. It takes the patience to wait on God so you don't make a mistake in an emotional time. Now, I'm just going to camp here for a few moments, but I am going to tell you, this is what gets us into problems. This is where we mess up life. This is where we do the wrong things for God because we're not following the principles to be something for God. And this is where we get into a tough time. We get into a time where it's all coming down around our shoulders. And as John Wayne in the Sands of Iwo Jima said to that lady one time, and a little life, a little rain must fall, it's going to fall in our lives. Dark clouds are going to come. Problems are going to resurrect themselves. We're going to have to deal with issues. And sometimes they're emotional. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you're wore out. Sometimes, and it, it, just, it just weighs on you. And I'm telling you, I work with people all my life for over 50 years, and many of you do with me, and you know this is true. The problems that I deal with with people, no matter what they mean, are all based on bad choices they have made. And many times they made them in emotional moments. I told you a couple, I think I told the Institute kids this. Never make a permanent decision based on an emotional moment. Then again, we see a Samuel again, back in 1 Samuel chapter 12. We see, a little farther on, we see Samuel up against the people who are uh, rejecting God's word. This will be the nation of Israel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, he calls the people together and he tells them, don't forget what God has done for you. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, here's the advice he gives them. And this is the advice I give you. It's good advice. Now, therefore, stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he uh, did to you and to your fathers. In any crisis, stop, be still, stand still, and remember how God brought you through 
the other areas in your life that you thought you'd never get through. Now, here's the problem. In most of God's people's life, they don't have any of those because their whole life has been one bad choice after the other. Their whole life has been a compounding of interest on the problems that they have invested in. And they never learn to stop, to stand still. Let God show you through the Word of God what He wants you to do. You make your decisions on what God has done for you in your life, not on the circumstances you find yourself in. Boy, that is so crucial. Because we're in a bad deal and we think we have to react to it. We think we have to do something. You never do it that way. You stop, stand still, and you look how God has delivered you. And you make your decision based on that. Who has time for that? Like one time I talked to a lady and I tried to get her a biblical plan. She was all kinds of emotional all over the place. And I said, ma'am, I called her and I said, have you been in the Bible like we said? She says, oh, yeah, I can't. She says, I am so nervous I don't have time to get in the Bible. Well, there you are. There you are. She says, I, I you know, she says, you know, she, she says, I, I can't sleep at night. She says, I've tried to take pills to get me to sleep. I even tried the stupid thing my mama said that I started to count sheep. And she says, none of that works. And I said, none of that will work. I got to think. If you can't sleep at night, don't take pills. Don't count sheep. Talk to the shepherd. Stand still. Let God show you what he's doing. Martha can't get it. Again, in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, when Israel leaves Egypt, you know the story, and Pharaoh chases after them. God opens up the Red Sea, they get across, and then they look back, and the Red Sea is still wide open, and here comes Pharaoh, hot on their heels. They're afraid, they're fearful. Who wouldn't be? They have forgotten. The same God that opened it up for them to get through is the same God can close it up. He's just waiting to drown everybody. But you see, when you're not operating on that mindset, you don't see those things. And they're in a terrible situation. They're afraid. They're fearful. And Moses tells them in chapter 14, verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. That's a pretty good promise. You know, I wish God could give me that about everything in my life that I don't like. But notice the key word, deliver. Salvation, he says. See, the salvation of the Lord. That means God was going to deliver them. Now, Mary stands still and allows God to show her, and she responds. Martha reacts and runs to the Lord so he can be, she can be the center of it all. Look at me. And what we learn from our definitive chapter is busyness is not a sign of spirituality. And in Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, he says it again. Be still 
and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And I want to tell you right now, that is a second coming deal for somebody in the tribulation to wait on God and be patient. But I'm going to tell you right now, time spent in a crisis being still and waiting on God is never time wasted. It never is. Now, having said that, that's easy to say. It's easy for me to say up here. But it takes time to develop that, doesn't it? That still stand for God. It takes time to develop patience. You know the biggest problem? I don't, I don't, we all have our sub-level issues, but I'm going to tell you what all of our problem is, and that is we are not patient. It's just that simple. That's human nature. One of the hardest things to do when things go south in our lives is to try to take charge and to fix it. And uh, it's it just, it, it, you know, we have never learned an understanding the trials and tribulations in our lives. It, it, it isn't the fact that something bad happened in your life and my life, that God, if somebody ran in the throne room and said, hey, Lord, do you know what happened down there with Bob? Oh, no, I was overlooking over here in Afghanistan. What happened? Well, really? No, he knows. <laughs> Nothing comes into our lives that he is not aware of. You see that in the gospel. This story with Lazarus and Martha and Mary, God knows exactly what he wants to accomplish through this. Mary gets it. Martha can't ever get to it. She's too busy being. She's too busy running around doing everything. She's too busy wanting everybody to see who she really is. Oh, Martha just has no patience. She won't wait to see how God will get the glory out of this with the death of her brother, she has to run to him. No, she just wanted, and I'll say it again, she just wanted everybody to say, whoa, there's Martha walking into town with Jesus. Wow, she must be something. I mean, Jesus probably called her nobody else. No! And I want to tell you, the look at me Christians will always be around us. They're always showing you what they got, always showing you this, I got this, I got this, I bought this, I have this, I have that, I have this, oh, this, I did this, I bought this, I got this, I got this, I got this. Look at all that I got. And you know what? At the end of the day, the judgment seat of Christ, it's all going up in smoke. The only thing that matters is what's going on inside you today. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Patience will, when you let God develop it, when you develop it into your own life, when you discipline yourself to do what, stay still, look at what He has done in the past, don't judge where you're at with God with a situation you're in now. Judge it where you're at now on what he did for you the last time you were here. We all, in any given situation, like I said, we get into that. Patience will, when you develop it, 
will be a perfect work in your life. And that goes along with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, when he says that the man of God through be thoroughly furnished perfect unto all good works. That perfection comes from God developing in you the ability in crisis to stand still and listen to what God telling you that he's trying to do. Now, now here's how it works in you and in me. Waiting on God, being still, developing patience. Romans 5.3 tells us, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Now, that's the first thing. How in the world do you glory in tribulations if you don't understand what God is doing in the tribulation in the first place? Knowing that, here's why you glory in it. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. There it is. And patience, experience. And experience hope. The only way you learn to deal with people, the only way you learn to deal and do the ministry, is not by somebody teaching you, though that is important because they need to port you in the right direction, but you know how you really learn it? By going through things and allowing God to develop patience in you. By going through things to see and understand that it isn't about the situation I'm in. This is scary. How do I deal with this? Oh, I know. I'll remember the last scary situation I was in. And in Titus chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, it tells us that the mature Christian is sound in three things. He's sound in his faith. He's sound in his charity. And he is sound in his patience. And as you grow in the Word of God, you will learn the patience of being still. And God teaching you, giving you experience, developing you through it. I can teach you the Bible. We can have Bible Institute till the cows come home, people ministry, Bible study on Sunday morning, and I can give you everything in the world. But I am going to tell you what. It's like, it's like going to driver's ed class. Now, we never had that when I was in school. But most of you have been in, had to go to driver's ed. Sometimes they give you money off your insurance. Sometimes it's required. I don't even know what a dealing is now. But, you know, you go, to, you go to classes and they have somebody up there telling you about driving and tell you about this and tell you about that. And they, they, uh, they show you movies about how not to go too fast or all those things, show you all this stuff. And, uh, you know, around prom time, they'll always bring in some wreck car that 9,000 people were killed in and put it in the front of the school so you drive safe on the prom. But I want to tell you something. I'm not saying that's bad. And I am not saying they shouldn't do that. But I am going to tell you this. You'll never learn to drive that way. How you learn to drive? You get behind the wheel and you drive. You learn by experience. You learn by realizing that you have a tremendous weapon in your hands that weighs about 3,000, 4,000 pounds. It has the ability to go 100 miles an hour and will leap tall buildings at a single bound. And you can kill people with it. You learn by doing. 
You learn by having the experience of driving that car. And I'm telling you, you will never learn your Bible completely from all the good Bible that I give you. You know how you learn most of it? By going through some tough times and letting God bring you through it. By learning that he was there for you yesterday, he'll be there for you tomorrow, and he'll certainly be there for you today. By understanding that the reason why we get so whacked out and make bad choices, we don't stand still. We don't have any patience. We want to jump in and fix it ourselves. Or we want to make some stupid decision that we think is going to be the right one and down the line, well, we see that that didn't work out very well for you, did it? And I am just telling you. Now, you all like studying your Bible, don't you? Ah, the front row does. You all like studying your Bible? Ah, uh, that's a little better. Okay, I got a good study for you. Martha never got this study. She should have, but she never did. Part of the reason why she didn't have this book in the Bible at the time, but that's beside the point. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. You want a good study? Here's one. And that she study to be quiet. <laughs> How's that one? That ain't Martha. <laughs> study to be quiet. Now, guys... Don't put that in the Valentine's card to your wife this weekend. That's just a little bit of advice to you that I probably won't go over very well. And uh, Drake's laughing back here. He don't even have a wife. But I do hear Drake things. I hear that where you work, the women just think you're something else. That right, Zach? Huh? Oh, yeah. Look at him. Look at him. Oh, Drake. Would you like a cup of coffee? <laughs> oh, I love you, buddy. You're my pal. Study to be quiet. Learn to stand still and wait for God to do his perfect work through you fulfilling God's will in your life so you can do God's plan for your life. Oh, Martha. She just ain't got the patience for that, man. She can't wait and see what God is going to get the glory out of this. She has to go to him. And uh, and boy, I'll tell you what. uh, She just wanted everybody to see, I'm walking into town with Jesus. Now, Mary, on the other hand, and we're going to look at her next week, She does what we are told to do, again, not only the places I showed you, but along with that, Luke chapter 19, verse 13. She stands still, she develops patience, and then as the Bible says in Luke 19, she occupies till he comes. She just keeps on being what she's being and doing what she's doing. Just stand still and see what God is going to do to get the honor and glory out of all this, and we have to grow to that point where we let God do that. Now, that's what we do here. That's one of the things that discipleship, Bible study, getting hammered every week on Thursday night and Sunday morning, it drives you, some of you, to the point where you finally get it. Because in every church in Christianity, you have Marys and you have Marthas. And, uh, you know, the real question today, are you a Mary or are you a Martha? I 
tell you. You decide. Now, look at verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Now, she's completely missing the whole picture here. One of the things that I like here in verse uh, 22, which kind of details her a little bit, she says this a couple of times, but I know. She don't know squat. She can't see it from God's perspective. She only sees it from hers. The pattern, all he has done so far for Israel is right in front of her. She has seen from the start of his earthly ministry that he has raised dead people. He has said a thousand times, I have come to bring glory to my father to the nation of Israel. She has absolutely no spiritual insight. I mean, hey, he, he, he could have, he waited three days before he came. Instead of running to him and opening up the dialogue, if my, you'd have been here, my brother would have died, wouldn't have died. Being quiet. Standing still and saying, you know what? God's going to do something here. It takes patience for you and for me in the midst of a tragedy to stand by and simply say, Lord, you know what you're doing. I'm going to watch how you're going to get the honor and glory out of this. And let him do it. Look at verse 23 and 24. Jesus saying unto her, thy brother shall rise again. (laughs) Look what she says. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Are you kidding me? He's been raising dead people for the last three years. In fact, if you really look at it, nobody ever stayed dead in his presence. All she can see is the general side of things. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, I know he'll rise again in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the resurrection in the last day. Oh, yes, I get that. She just can't get it. She's so busy running around doing, she can't see or understand what God is really doing in this situation. And there's so many of God's people like that. I mean, they just, you know, God wants to do something. He began a good work. And sometimes some of the best work God will do in your life and my life is through the tough times we have to go through. We want God to use us in the good times. Oh, we all won the lottery. We'd say, God, thanks for using me. But boy, when the bad times come and the dark clouds roll in and the sun doesn't shine in our world, what do we do then? Now look at verse 25 and 26. The Lord tries again. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, uh, yet shall he live. And whatsoever liveth and believeth in me, uh, whosoever shall never die, believeth thou this? He tries again. He said, hey, (laughs) Martha, I'm the resurrection. I came to do the work of the Father and raise uh, him from the dead now, not the last. I have been doing this. I have said it over and over and over again. This is why I'm here now. 
What? You miss Sunday school? You don't get it. I've been raising dead people from the start of my ministry. Forget the last day. I'm here now. I'm life. I'm light. Who believe in me shall never die. What's this about the resurrection in the last day? You don't get it. This is my sign to Israel. You've been missing Bible study or church on Sunday? I'm here doing what I'm doing, the way I'm doing it, through this tragedy in your life, so God can get the glory. What part of that don't you understand? Look at her answer, verse 27. She says, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Second verse, same as the first. She just can't get it. All she can see is everything about God in the Bible in a general context. There's no insight. There's no depth. He's come to Israel, and he's come to Lazarus to raise him from the dead so that everybody in Israel will see that he has the gifts that were talked about in the Old Testament to be the glory of God through Christ to Israel. No understanding of what God is doing, how it affects the people around her. She cannot see the big picture of how God has a plan and wants to use the death of her brother and then him coming to that brother, resurrecting that brother for the glory of God to Israel. And God wants to do his ministry through us and through our own situations. But we got to get on the same page. We have got to quit looking at the tough times and the tribulation. And I know we cause a lot of them ourselves. I get that, bad choices. But I want to tell you this. God can even use the stupid things that we do and make the wrong choice to get honor and glory out of you, get your head straightened out and don't understand what's going on. You don't have to live in the mistakes that you've made all your life. There is a way out. Now, it may take a while to get out, but you know what? God will give you a plan. When I deal with people that come over and they have issues in their life that they're really struggling with, and a lot of times the issues, you know, go back 10, 15 years, man. I mean, they're, they're, they've got some things going on. And they want to do what's right, and I can appreciate that. And as long as somebody wants to do what's right, I'll go to distance with you. And so I will tell them. They'll lay out everything, you know, and they'll tell me about this and about that and all the mistakes they made, and I get all that. And I don't really care. I always tell them this. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. The only thing I care about is where do you want to go from here. And I'm going to be honest with you. I can't go back and fix all that today. I can't go back and undo some of the things you've done. I can't do that at one hour setting today. But what I can give you is this. I can give you a plan to get out of it that you'll never have to make another bad choice in life. And you know what, folks? You know what the greatest thing that will get you out of the messes that we all have been in in our lives? Is to quit making bad choices. If you just quit making bad choices, if I just quit making bad choices, and we start just making good choices, in time we'll outdistance the bad ones. But it takes patience. 
It takes the ability to stand still. It takes the ability not to be a Martha. She's a perfect picture of God's people today who are saved and believe in Christ and yet go through their life never seeing or understanding anything that God will do in their own life. A life without the principles of God to guide you, oblivious to anything that God is doing. Now, here's another defining verse on her, trained eye. Look at verse 28, John chapter 11. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master has come and calleth for thee. Now, there's three things here you have got to see. First off, let me just say this. The things that we say is what really defines us. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Verse 28 says, And when she had said, she went her way. This is her problem. She's been going her way all her life. And a lot of God's people that do the same thing, they go their way. There it is. Everything is going to have to be her way because she knows. She is so busy that she has no time to be like Christ. It all has to be her way. And yet she thinks she knows everything that's going on around her. Now I'll tell you something else. The second thing. Another glaring thing in verse 28, and here it comes. When she goes to marry her sister secretly, she says, the master hath come. She calls him Lord when she's around people. But when she's in the private secret conversations, he's the master. That's exactly what Judas called him when he betrayed him. He never called him Lord. Now look at verse 20, uh, 32 for a moment in contrast, and we'll get into this next week. Mary is at his feet and calls him Lord. Martha has never made Christ privately. Like so many of people today, the Lord of her life. She went to church. She talked about how great God was. She gave all the appearances. This is a powerful thing. She said it in front of everybody. She would call him Lord, but in the privacy and the secrecy of the moment, the real truth comes out, doesn't it? He's master. Martha has never made Christ Lord of her life. It's always been her way. Now, let me ask you. You see yourself in any of this? Do I see myself in any of this? Now, the third thing. Got to love this. She comes secretly. Now, there is no record anywhere in the Bible that Jesus told her to go tell her sister that he wanted to see her. She's lying. You say, how do you know that? Because I deal with Martha's all my life. She is the minister of information. She wants to be the one 
Terry, you've had a few of these in your time, buddy? Huh? Sure you have. Jim, I'm sure you have too. Zach, I know you have. We kill them together. <laughs> but she, she, she wants to be the one to come secretly. You know why? She has to have the private information coming from the Lord, and the Lord disperses it through her. Martha, Martha, Martha. Not you, sweetheart. Not you, Martha. You're you're okay. Martha, Martha, Martha. Wow. I'm telling you. Now, this is what she got. Martha will be a picture of most of God's people today. They will do something for God, but never spiritually be anything for God. They represent a Christian who can never see the spiritual side or inside of anything that God is doing. Only what directly affects them, because they know it all. They're unteachable. There's no depth to them. Only what directly affects their world. Everything will just be in a general sense. Never any depth or understanding to them when it comes to spiritual issues. There's no principles. There's no word of God. There's no standing still. There's no saying still. There's no being quiet. There's no application. There's no perspective. There's no discernment. So when tough times do come, and they're going to come, she reacts instead of responds, and so do we. The reason? Two of them. It's always got to be their way. And Christ is master, but he's never Lord. And I'll tell you something right now, folks. You can write this down. It's not original to me, but I'll steal it. If he isn't Lord of all in your life, he ain't Lord at all. So in her life, there's no perfect work. And in God's people's lives today, there's no perfect work of God developing them. Now, in the few minutes we have left, to get a complete picture of all this, we need to go to another passage that deals with our beloved Martha again. It'll be Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. And we're going to pick up Martha again. Be careful, she's heavy. And it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received her into her, in, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Wow. Here we go. Now this will be another defining passage for us on our our dear lady here. And again, the Bible will always define us by what we say. In verse 39 and 40, Mary is at the feet learning his word. We'll get into her next week. 
Martha is cumbered about with much serving. Mary will be still at his feet learning his word. Martha is running around all over the place trying to impress the Lord with all she's doing. Mary is learning. Martha is laboring. Martha is worrying. Mary is worshiping. Martha is busy doing for God. Mary is busy being something for God. Now watch this. Verse 40. Bible says she's cumbered with much serving. I'm sure she was. Now the Lord is there and she's trying to impress him. Oh, I could just close my eyes and see the scene. I mean, she is out there, Lord's sitting there just checking it all out. Mary's down at his feet, you know, and learning the word. And oh, Martha, she's bouncing back and forth like a rubber ball off the wall, man. She's just all over the place. She's just doing, doing, doing. And she's doing while she's looking to see if the Lord's watching. And then she's coming back and he's not watching. And he's not watching. And she's trying to impress him with her labor. Now, when he doesn't nominate her for the Christian of the Year Award, she finally has enough and she has to go to him in verse 40. And she says, Lord, I don't get it. Don't you care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Well, first of all, from the story, it's only her, Mary, and Jesus. What, what we got? We, we feeding the cars going by on the road or what? See, it isn't about that. It's about the Lord wasn't watching her. The Lord wasn't saying to Mary, Mary, you're doing good, but you need to be like Martha. Martha really has it down. Look at her go. Why, I'll tell you what, she's baked the cookies, she's put the cake in the car, she's washed the chariot, she's fed the horses. She's really doing good. In fact, she's probably going to get Christian of the Year on Time Magazine. No. He says nothing. You know why? God, for any potential Marthas out there, God isn't watching you. He's too busy focusing on who's sitting at his feet learning the word. That's where he's at. So she goes to him. Lord, dost thou not care? My sister hath left me to serve alone. So many of God's people like this. So busy doing ministry. They get the same attitude. Look at me. I'm doing it and you're not. Well, I've been a Christian for 20 and 30 years. I mean, you haven't done what I'm doing. And uh, I watched what you did and that's not the way you do it. That's the way I, not the way I would do it. And I know because I'm a strong Christian and I've been in this business a lot longer than you. You should be like me. Why, you know what? If my favorite character in the Bible is Elijah on the mountaintop standing all alone and saying, oh, Lord, look at me. I'm standing all by myself serving you. There's nobody with me. And the Lord says, I got some bad news for you. There's 4,000 over here that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Hey, guys, you're never alone. And God is never going to see what you do without you being what he wants you to be first. It's just simple as that. And the Lord says to her in verse 41, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Now let me translate that for you. I got my Greek lexicon out last night and broke this down in the Greek. Amazingly, it said the same thing in the Hebrew, so I got to make it up. 
He says, Martha, I love you, hon. I really do. I love you to death. But you have got to get your nose out of everybody else's business. You have set yourself up as the Holy Spirit of God. You think you know everything. Why, you ran out there to see me for the reason that you, you just wanted everybody in town to see you walk in town with me. And yeah, I know everything, Martha. I know that when you come to me, you call me Lord. But when you talk to your sister secretly, you call me Master. And I'll tell you something else. You and I both know I didn't tell you to tell her that. Martha, you need to give up your position of the minister of information. You need to understand that you have set yourself as the Holy Spirit of God determined who is really spiritual and who's not based on what you do and they don't. Verse 42. What you really need to do, Martha, and I know this is going to be tough for you, you may not come back to church. You may go be part of the Roman Empire and bring the nails when they crucify me. But let me tell you what you need to do. You need to do what your sister's doing and what you're not doing. And I bet that hurt. You're serving, but she's worshiping. Now, what part of that don't you get? You've seen the same miracles that she has. We're, I've been a friend of this family. You know everything that's going on in my ministry, what I'm trying to do. Why can't you see that? And then he says, she's got the good part. You see, she had the will of God. That's the good part. The good part is not what you do. The good part is what you are. The good part is not what you're serving. The good part is where you're at. Are you at his feet? Are you learning and worshiping? Or are you running around all over the place pretending that you're spiritual? She's got the good part. She's got the will of God down. And you know what, Martha? That can't ever be taken away from her. It can't be taken away from her because it's what she's built and I've given her and we're working together on the inside. That perfect patience. It's, it's on the inside. Nobody can, nobody can take that from you. They can take your ministry from you. They can take your church from you. They can take everything out there that you do. But what they can never take is what you and God have built on the inside. And when you and God build it on the inside, I guarantee you, it doesn't matter what man says or does to you, God's got something else he's going to do because he does it through the will of God in your life to establish the plan of God in your life. Martha can't get it. And he says, you're missing the good part, hon. You're missing the part that when a tragedy comes into your life, you need to stay still. You need to be patient. And you realize that through the trials of life, you allow God to take you and give you insight, give you experience, give you understanding, show you what he's doing. Martha, it's not about what you're going through that is the main issue. No matter how tough it is, that's not the main issue. The main issue you lose sight of is what is God doing through it Amen. to get the honor and glory out of it. 
Now, this is the real meaning for us when the Bible says being one with Christ, seeing on the inside, getting discernment, getting perspective, seeing what God sees that nobody else sees, like Abraham who called those things that were not that though they were, that like Moses, seeing him who is invisible, and to allow patience to do her perfect work in our lives. You see, you can learn all the Bible you want. You can quote verses out. You can have a photographic memory and, and learn everything that you want to learn. But at the end of the day, is there a perfect work in your life? A patience. That through any tribulation, if you're still, that God will give you patience that's the ability to wait on God, not to jump in and try to fix it. Give you through patience experience. He'll teach you through the process of what he wants you to see. And then hope. It's not, I hope I get out of this. It's not hope that, it's the hope that God was there for you yesterday. He'll be there for you today and tomorrow. It's the hope that through the Word of God and His principles, there's no bad things that happen to God's people. All things together work for the good. It's us together, everything in our life. All things work together for good to them who are called of God or called according to His purpose. Our problem is we're not patient. God can do a work in you but he can't do a perfect work. Now, I don't know about you, and I can't speak for you. I don't want God just to do a work through me. I want the perfect work. You know why? Because I got the perfect God, so I need the perfect work. And I'll tell you something else. I got the perfect Bible, so I got to have the perfect work. I'll tell you something else. I want my millennial inheritance to be perfect, so I'm going to get the perfect work. See, it all goes together. But it's not about what we do. It's about what we are. Allowing God to take us. Amen. You know, I always thought about when the devil came before God in Job chapter 1 and again in Job chapter 2. I always amazed me when the Lord says to the devil, what you been doing? And he says, oh, I've been walking up and down on the earth and going to and fro from it, just checking things out. Now, Job went through some tremendous times. He went through things in seven days that you and I will never go through in a lifetime. But the thing that's amazing to me, that it wasn't the devil that brought God's, Job's name up. It was God who brought Job's name up. Out of the clear blue, walking to and forth, going down, checking things out, out of the clear blue, God says, hast thou considered my servant Job. You see, God had a message for Job. But he wanted to use the devil to be the delivery boy of that message. And sometimes when we go through tough times just like that, we get so caught up with the delivery boy, we never get the message. Patience. Being still. Just letting God be God. 
realizing that nothing is going to happen to you that he doesn't want to happen, and whatever that is needs to be okay with you and me. And then let God get the perfect work out of it for you, for me, and for others. At the end of the day, God gets the honor and glory out of it. Okay, that's Martha. Next week, we're going to get into Mary. And then next week, we'll, we'll get into Lazarus.